Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Today on Words of Grace, we're going to continue our series on statements of God's sovereignty in salvation from John's gospel that we began on last week's broadcast. Now, just to remind you of some things that we said on the broadcast last week regarding John's gospel in particular and salvation by God's sovereign grace. The gospel of John is absolutely full of such statements confirming what we might call the doctrines of grace, salvation by God's sovereign grace. As we indicated last week, we're going to consider these one at a time, but not necessarily in chronological order. The three passages that we're going to consider first, last week we looked at John chapter 6, beginning in about verse 37. Today we're going to consider a very famous passage of Scripture from the book of John chapter 10, and next week we're going to consider John chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. These passages in particular really emphasize God's sovereignty and salvation, And so we're going to be considering them first. However, there are many passages that we're going to consider from John's Gospel that emphasize over and over again God's sovereignty in saving people from their sins. Now, you might be tempted to turn the dial and say, you know, I don't like what that preacher is saying, but just hear me out. Fact-check what I'm saying. I'm not afraid of being fact-checked here from the Word of God. I want you to listen to what I'm saying about these passages. Listen to what Jesus said in these passages. Study this out. Pray about it. And you might come to understand some things that perhaps you didn't quite realize from the Word of God before. Well, today we want to consider John chapter 10, which conveys identical theology to that of John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22 and continuing through verse 30. And so what we're going to do is read these passages for you, as we did last week, and then back up into the context of this chapter and share with you the story leading up to the message, because so often the context behind a passage of Scripture is crucial to understanding the full scope of what was taking place. John chapter 10 and verse 22, it was Jerusalem, the feast of dedication, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you believe not, because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And so in this passage, Jesus is speaking, as you observe here, to people who don't believe, and they, as we'll explore in a moment, effectively blame their unbelief on Jesus. And Jesus uses this to teach that it's impossible for them to believe on him because they're not his sheep. He talks about the certainty of salvation for those who are his sheep, 
the fact that his father has given these sheep to him, and no man can take them from his father, because his father is greater than all, and he and his father are one. And we'll come back to this teaching and go verse by verse through this at the close of today's broadcast. But let's first look back into the context of what takes place in John chapter 10. You notice that as Jesus begins speaking against them, he says, I told you and you believe not. When they come up and say, if you're really the Christ, tell us plainly, why are you making us doubt? And he says, very frankly, I did tell you, you didn't believe me. The works that I do, they bear witness of me, but you believe not, because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Obviously, Jesus is referring back to something. I told you, you believe not. You believe not because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. He's referring back to other things, other interactions that he has had with this group of people. Jesus spent the early part of this chapter, John chapter 10, teaching on his role as the shepherd of his people. But this was in response to unbelieving Pharisees in chapter 9 who were angry with him for healing a man of blindness on the Sabbath day. And they basically accused Jesus of violating the Sabbath. You can read this in John chapter 9 in verse 1, Jesus passes by. There's a man blind from his birth. The disciples ask a question, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They attributed his suffering as some sort of judgment, and Jesus says, neither has this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In other words, this man was suffered to experience this affliction in his life, so Christ could come along and heal him, give him the ability to see. His suffering was much like that of Lazarus in the book of John chapter 11, for the glory of God. And this is one of the many causes of suffering among God's people in the world. Sometimes we suffer chastening, sometimes we suffer judgment, sometimes we suffer persecution. Sometimes the suffering is just common to man because we live in a sin-cursed earth. And sometimes people suffer for the glory of God. They suffer certain situations in their life many times, so God can overrule that and give a blessing, give beauty for ashes. And that was the case with this man that was born blind. Well, he goes his way after he's been healed, and then the Pharisees begin to grumble. You have been healed on the Sabbath day, and we are offended. Now, by the way, Jesus would point out many times to them that, number one, it's always good to do good, even on the Sabbath day, healing a man who was sick. That was fine to do on the Sabbath. And number two, Jesus is God incarnate, and the Sabbath was not made for God, but the Sabbath was made for man. And so as they're mad at Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath, they would do this many times in his life. They would be mad at him for doing something on the Sabbath that is perfectly fine for God to do. God upholds all things by the word of his power on the Sabbath, just like he did any other day of the week. These people are basically just nitpicking him and trying to find fault with him because they were in their sins, and they hated him. They were not of his sheep. He would very pointedly tell them in chapter 9 and verse 39 that they're blind. They are blind. They could not see, and they even ask, are we blind also? And yes, many of them were blind. They could not see the identity of Jesus because they did not belong to him. Now, in chapter 10 and verse 1, Jesus begins to teach a parable, and this parable encompasses John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, in which Jesus emphasizes the fact that he 
is the shepherd of his people. He's the good shepherd. Remember, this all began because Jesus healed one of his children. And these religious elite people, they don't like it. They're angry because he didn't do things the way they thought he should do it. He did things they thought he shouldn't do. And they had this bias in them against him because they were yet unregenerate. They were reprobate. They were very religious, but they were unregenerate nonetheless. And so Jesus teaches this parable to just highlight the fact that he is the good shepherd. He's going to care for his people. And at the same time, as he teaches about his people, he gives the opportunity to teach about wolves because his children are the sheep, and he would also contrast them with others such as wolves and hirelings. And what this does was criticize other individuals such as false prophets, false teachers, false Christs, etc. Jesus says in verse 1 of chapter 10, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth in some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Now, anytime you read a parable in Scripture, you have to be careful not to try to make everything in the parable a one-to-one equivalent in reality. I think the best way to emphasize that is the parable of the unjust judge. The judge in that parable is unjust, and he gives in to the pleadings of a little widow woman because he's tired of listening to her, not because he actually cares about her. Well, that parable is explaining that we ought to always pray, but at no point should we think that God doesn't care about us or that he's unjust. So there's not always a literal one-to-one parallel. So we have to look at the overall moral of the story as we come to a parable. And if there are parallels, like in the parable of the sower or this parable, well, we can identify what those are through the explanations of such given after the parable has been taught. In this parable, what Jesus is teaching is, number one, that he is the shepherd. Two, his sheep belong to him. And three, there are many impersonators false teachers, false Christs, who have tried to lead his sheep, and they failed because they were not the shepherd. Those are the three main points of this particular parable. Now, I've heard people try to identify the porter and try to explain how Jesus is both the door and the shepherd, and really, we don't need to overthink this to the point of being confused. It's a very simple thing. Jesus is the shepherd, his people are the sheep, And there are all kinds of people that have made trouble trying to lead God's children astray. It's not so different than the world today, is it? No, not really. In verse 6, we read that this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. And this is what we read in chapter 9. It's what we read later in chapter 10. The them there, who is not understanding what Jesus is teaching, is effectively the Pharisees and the complainers who were mad because Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day. He spoke this parable, and we understand what it means. We get a blessing out of reading it, but they had no idea what he's talking about. So he's going to explain some things about this parable and the theology behind it, the teachings, the doctrine behind the parable. 
Jesus says unto them, and this is plain compared to the parable that he just spoke, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, what this means is we have access to the Father. We have access to eternal life through Christ. Christ is the door. Now, you might be thinking, well, Jesus said he's the shepherd, and now Jesus says he's the door. The door is not the shepherd and a pastor. And while that's true, remember this is a parable. Jesus is the door. Frankly, Jesus is the door. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is what the sheep partake of to find strength and food and drink in a spiritual sense. Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our lamb that is offered by the priest. Jesus is our husband. Jesus is our friend. He's our elder brother. He's our apostle. You name it, if there's a good relational tie in Scripture, usually that is used to depict and describe the relationship between Jesus and his people. So, yes, he's the door, and in this parable, he's also the shepherd. I am the door of the sheep, he says. All that came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, what exactly does that mean? There are lots of people that came before Jesus that were good, godly prophets that were not thieves and robbers. Moses is not a thief or a robber. Isaiah is not a thief or a robber. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, those men were not thieves and robbers. Elijah and Elisha were not thieves and robbers. What Jesus has referenced to here are the many people who came claiming to be the Messiah who were not. We sometimes fail to realize that there were many men in first century Judea understanding that the time of the weeks of years of Daniel's writings had come to pass, and it was time for the Messiah to be here. There were many men that had Messiah God complexes, and they went around telling people that they were the Messiah, and they were liars. They were thieves. They were robbers. And I think part of this condemnation here also applies to the Pharisees, because they claimed to be religious teachers, but they really didn't love the sheep. They really didn't love the shepherd. They were opportunistic, and they used this religious and political power as a way to have authority over other people. And so Jesus is condemning not only the false Christ, but also the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, and many of the priesthood who were yet unregenerate and in their sins. It's a shame that an organization that began with such noble intentions as preserving God's word, following the captivity, when you had all of this influx of pagan thought and Gentile life infiltrating Israel, it's a shame that a group of people like the Pharisees that started with such a good intention grew into something so hideous, so ugly, and so sinful, and yet it did. As you read in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus Refer to these people as a generation of vipers. They were whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. They were dead on the inside, but they were garnished with jewels on the outside. And certainly they're thieves and robbers. Jesus says, I am the door. If any man shall enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what Satan is all about stealing and killing and destroying God's people. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, 
whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. So you have these false teachers that divide up the sheep, and they're, they don't love the sheep, they're hirelings. The wolf comes, and it devours the sheep, because the sheep have been scattered by the false teachers. Now, this isn't the subject for today, but please understand how devastating and how dangerous false teaching and false teachers are in the world. False teachers divide up the sheep. False teachers split up the sheep. False teachers drive the sheep away. And a sheep that is isolated from the rest of the flock, well, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be devoured. The wolf is going to pick it off. It's going to be attacked by that old serpent who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Bad things happen in our lives when we are not a part of the house of God. We need to be in church. We need to be among the saints. And false teachers drive God's people away, either through their rhetoric or their behavior or the abuse of God's people. There are many things. Maybe they take them away from sound churches and group them together in places where they fleece them and make merchandise of them. All of those things happen. And because of that, in this world, the sheep are destroyed. Now, please understand, Jesus is the door, and the people that go through that door, those that are in Christ, well, they're saved. And so the wolf might devour them in this life, but that doesn't mean that they are taken from their Savior, as we will very clearly see as we get to the teaching of Christ from verse 22 to verse 30. Now, about this word hireling, sometimes people use that to teach against financially supporting the ministry. Well, I don't believe that preachers ought to become wealthy people preaching the Word of God. At the same time, God's Word is very clear that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. If your church hands your pastor a love offering or some sort of compensation each and every week, and they should, that's their duty— That doesn't make your pastor a hireling. What makes a man a hireling is if he does this for the money and he runs and hides when the sheep are being attacked by the wolf. Now, as a person that is fully supported in the ministry, I can tell you that there have been many times in my experience as a pastor when I had to stare a wolf in the eye and at times even drive that person away from the sheep before he could damage the sheep anymore. A real man of God is not going to run and hide from the wolf because he loves the shepherd and he loves the sheep. If you're a real pastor, that word pastor means shepherd. A real shepherd loves the sheep and he's not going to run and hide when the wolf comes. But the good shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're under shepherds. We're pastors in his pasture. But we are not the good shepherd. The good shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you notice here in verse 14, he knows his sheep. He is known of his sheep. The father knows that he lays down his life for the sheep. And then he says in verse 16 that he has other sheep that are not of that fold. That's referring to Gentiles, non-Jews, that are not of the fold of the nation of Israel, but them also he must bring. And listen, they shall hear my voice, he says, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. What a beautiful thing it is to know that the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile in Christ is broken down, and in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. We all belong as his children to him, and there's complete equality among his children, among his sheep. There's not a higher place upon one of Jewish descent in the eyes of God in Christ than there is a Gentile who is also in Christ. And lastly, Jesus says here, no man 
takes his life from him. He lays it down and he takes it back up. He has power to lay it down. He has power to take it back up. Jesus submitted to the cross. He could have called legions of angels to this world to destroy every human being that lived on the planet and wipe this population out of existence. And yet he didn't because he came to this world to die for his people. Now, in verses 19 through 21, there's a division, an argument among the hearers of Christ. Some people said, this man is of God because of the things that he does. And other people said, well, no, he has a devil. He's mad. Why are you listening to him? Verse 20. And so in verse 22, a new paragraph begins, another moment begins, and the doubters return to Christ. It was Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication, and it was winter. Now, you won't find the Feast of the Dedication in the Old Testament because this actually isn't an Old Testament feast like Passover or Unleavened Bread. This is actually a feast, a festival commemorating the dedication of the temple after it was restored following captivity. We know this holiday, if you will, today as the day on the calendar called Hanukkah. And so the Feast of the Dedication is Hanukkah, it's winter, and Jesus is walking in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. They blame their doubts and their unbelief on Jesus. But their doubt has another reason. Jesus did not cause their unbelief. Jesus answers them and he says, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Things that I do in my Father's name prove my identity. And the very greatest thing that Jesus did that proved his identity was the resurrection. When he took his life up again, he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. I told you, Jesus said, you believe me not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But why do these people not believe? But ye believe not, verse 26 Because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. What was the source of their unbelief? the fact that they were not the sheep of Christ? Why were they not the sheep of Christ? Because they had not been given to Christ by his Father. If a person is not born of the Spirit, that person cannot believe in Christ. This is one of the most overlooked facts in the Bible among modern Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, for instance, says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. If a person is unregenerate, if they are not born again, they cannot see the things of the kingdom of God, according to Jesus in John chapter 3. Romans 3 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none that fear God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
prior to being born of the Spirit, we are dead in trespasses and in sins. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 1.19, We believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Resurrecting power enables us to believe the gospel. Resurrection power quickens our soul from death, enabling us to see Christ, enabling us to believe on Christ. These people did not believe because they were not of his sheep. Sheep, however, do hear. Like sheep do with a shepherd, the sheep know his voice, his life-giving voice, and they follow him. The voice of Jesus is sweet to a sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And so, first of all, these unbelievers were so because they were not his sheep. His sheep, however, hear his voice, his sheep follow him, and he gives his sheep eternal life. Now, think about this for a moment. The life that Christ gives as the door is eternal. It's not term life. It's not life that you can lose. If you think somehow that you can lose eternal life, then you don't understand the word eternal itself, because to have eternal life is literally to have life that's never going to end. The life that Christ gives us is eternal, and because of that, they, the sheep, shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. This series is one on statements of God's sovereignty in salvation. And if you paid attention to this chapter, it's been very rich with God's sovereignty and salvation. Sometimes the doctrines of grace are summarized, grouped together under the acrostic known as tulip. The first letter of that acrostic tulip is T for total depravity. Is total depravity contained in this chapter, the inability of man to rescue himself? It sure is. You believe not because you're not of my sheep. That's total depravity. What about unconditional election and limited atonement? Is that contained in this chapter? Notice verse 29. My Father which gave them me. The people that are the sheep of Christ were given to Christ by the Father. And according to Ephesians chapter 1, this is before the foundation of the world. His Father gave these people to him. And because of that, no man is able to pluck them out of his Father's hand. That teaches the U and the L of this acrostic tulip. What about the I, irresistible grace? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. What is that? That is irresistible grace. My sheep hear my voice, I know them. Why are they a sheep? Because the Father gave them to him. And they hear him, they follow him. Lastly, what about the P, preservation of the saints? Is that contained here? In John chapter 10, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. They shall never perish. They have eternal life. That's the P in tulip. Another important teaching here in John chapter 10 is the deity, the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. My Father and I are one. You know, the Jews' response to that was to take up stones to stone him because that was to make himself equal with God. Jesus literally claimed to be divine here in John chapter 10. I'll close today's broadcast by simply saying what a blessing it is to be a sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we look at this from a doctrinal perspective, but think about this practically. 
you are not a lost sheep in the woods who has to fall victim and prey to every wolf that comes along. But you have a shepherd named Jesus, a shepherd that is so great and so mighty that he can put you on his shoulder and carry you back to the fold. This is our good shepherd who loves us, who cares for us, who died for us, and we're simply the recipients of his grace and his mercy that was given to us by his Father before the world began. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received the broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to... Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.